0: So let's see what we've got in the cook, in the pot.. <clears throat> Could you kindly expand on the guidance on metta in relation to sustaining metta? For oneself, one is sub- when one is subject to much criticism, rejection and disapproval such a situation reinforces the message that I'm not good enough and I find myself feeling unworthy of love and sinking into depression how can I find a sense of self-worth that is not dependent on pleasing others <laughs> 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 what do you do? <laughs> what do you recommend? I does out. Everybody loves you, huh? Are okay. <laughs> You're such a that you should talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: hmm. have a look at it, it's quite complex I mean basically what I'm getting from it is like um, how to practice metta, how to practice loving kindness and probably also compassion towards oneself when you are kind of when you are in the fire of being criticized from the outside but probably also that activates your inner, I would call it, you could say like the inner critic, but you could also call it the inner tyrant. Like the first step, like with all very emotive states of mind, is that we recognize what's going on, we take in what's actually happening here right now, how is that affecting me, how, how, where does it move me, where, where, where get, um, where do I, Where do I land with this, you could also say, internally, in the inner landscape. And when you... Yes, when you're criticized, when you are, or when you feel criticized, or when you're really actually criticized a lot, it's very hard to keep the perspective on the reality. And I'm I'm also talking from my personal experience, just kind of sometimes, you know, like living in the monastery, you have people coming in and most people are incredibly appreciative of what we are offering, what is possible to do and what is available. And then sometimes others come and, they are not very appreciative. They have very, kind of they have their own agenda. they come with certain expectations, and if you, for some reason, can't fulfill these expectations, you are really like you're in the fire, like you are, <laughs> you are well when well, my experience of it is like I'm hearing you are nun, you should be compassionate. You compassionate in that sense means give me what I want, <laughs> and and that's not always possible because there are also others who have need. That like I I myself in my position as the nana Chita Viveka, have to take care of all the guests and not sh- just for that one, for example. So it's very hard to kind of keep your ground. Knowing your intentions, knowing where you are coming from. I mean, this is the the question is very vague and very open to all kinds of things. So, I hope you don't mind if I'm taking my own experience as ex, as an example. But like over the years, and I can say say really over the years because I. I've been working with the guests also earlier here at Amaravati. It's like you learn to see that and I think that is that me, that is relevant for all of us. You are an object of projection. It's like wherever you are like in your work, in your everyday life, in your family, whatever when you are dealing with others, when you are relating with others, you are the object of their projections, and these projections can sometimes be very positive and very supportive, and sometimes they are not and When you feel like you are really you're really doing your best, you do what you can what you in your situation are able to give. And then you meet, and then you see that you are not meeting the expectation of others. It's like, what do you do? It's, I think one of the important things is to keep a hold or a handle on reality. It's just kind of really also... Maybe taking in feedback of others, like if you are getting very, like like say, if you are especially by one person criticized, then kind of ask people who have experienced you in that situation for some feedback. And sometimes, I mean, in the monastery, like I would call it a reality check. It's like somebody has experienced myself maybe with somebody else in a certain situation. And I'm like, I know what was happening for, I think, to part part of it. I know what was happening in my mind. I know to some degree my intentions. But it's very hard to say that about somebody else, especially if you're emotionally involved in a situation. Emotions always cloud our minds so we are we are losing a bit of the ground of reality in that. Then bringing the loving kindness into this situation, I think like always we have to start with ourselves we have to... Like in a situation like that i would I would encourage myself to to say well actually i really like I really try to do my best here i I do what I can, and sometimes I'm losing it, or sometimes I can't quite live up to what is expected from me. can i accept that? Can I allow myself not to be perfect? And I think what comes in here is a quality of kindness, a quality of compassion because so many times we find ourselves in situations where we can't quite live up to expectations internally or externally and usually our inner judge or what sometimes we can also call our inner tyrant is never satisfied with whatever we are doing we are never living up to to the scale of expectations that mm-hmm that we have partly internalized from our upbringing. And we have, through that, we have established an inner charge that is to some degree ruthless, more or less, depending on how we have been uh, conditioned. And with with kindness and with compassion we can try or we can work on disempowering that judge for myself I know if I'm in a situation where I feel quite stressed and say like criticized or blamed or I feel under pressure if I'm if I'm like if somebody in that situation speaks to me with empathy with understanding and just kind of a sentence like who this is really difficult right now isn't it you know just that that amount of of care that it helps me to get in contact with and create a little bit more space in myself in order to respond without being reactive. I think one of the things that complicate our lives are our habitual reactions to difficult situations or also to to maybe pleasant situations, but it's like knowing where we are coming from, knowing right now I'm in a place where I don't feel safe. So because of that, what I have to establish at first is a ground where I feel safe enough to relate from. Sometimes, when I find myself in a very difficult situation, for me, kindness is also to say, I'm sorry, but right now I can't relate to that. Like right now, I can't respond. I'm not, I feel I'm not in a place where I can really do that, where I can relate back in a way that actually helps to find like say find a solution for a problem and sometimes by giving ourselves and also others some space we can use this space for reflecting for looking into where do i really come from what What can I bring into this situation that helps to, at least to some degree, resolve what is difficult? And sometimes just the understanding that this is difficult right now is enough for oneself to come to terms with the expectations that we feel we can't quite fulfill. And I think, I mean, and I see it around me, I think we all are subject to those kind of situations. I mean, I could just say, oh, well, don't take it so personal or or try to get an inner distance. But I think one very important Part in this, and that goes together with the practice of metta, is the acceptance this is what I'm meeting right now. How can I connect with that? And a connection from a point of empathy, from a point of understanding. What is happening in myself and trying also to understand where the other person comes from. And sometimes that seems to be impossible. (laughs) I, I mean, I have my own experiences in that. And, and it takes time. But I think what is really, what is crucial is to to get that inner space where you are not with your nose or with your heart you could also say in the midst of the, uh yeah in the midst of accusation and blame and and being kind of drawn into that i think we have to find ways of Stepping back, reflecting, looking at it, connecting with it, and saying like, from here, how can I connect with this? That is what comes right now. I hope that is helpful. Ajahn, would you like to say something more about this?
0: Um yeah, there you know. Well, I think you covered quite a lot of ground there. Um (coughs) it's just what I was kind of touching on this earlier today is that that real need to cultivate uh kindness or towards oneself and what do we mean by kindness in that it's often you know the non non aversion non picking up hostility safety not feeling tense not feeling defensive and it, so we what i was suggesting as just a regular ongoing practice is to have times in the day definitely when you just do just that you pick up images, impressions that remind you of times when you have been appreciated um, you know experienced gratitude or courtesy and you just pick up what that felt like and you dwell upon it and make much of it and you know as that really reaches you you know then then you can feel what happens in your body when perhaps some of the the shoulder sinking or the hunching or the kind of tightness around the chest eases up and you yeah that was nice you know and then the way as you're breathing now so the body by the body kind of locks all these uh, these um, emotional states so we want to find a way we should kind of lock in that quality of goodwill you see what i mean so often we've locked in the quality of ill will <laughs> so we we walk around with that kind of miserable state because it's our body bodily sense has got locked into it it's quite natural because everything fears pain every creature fears pain and human beings, because we're mammals, and highly evolved social mammals, f- f- strongly fear the pain of rejection being thrown out of the group, the tribe, the mate, the partner, whatever, you know, the, that thing. So, it's, so when that's around, you know, there is either shutting down altogether, we just soldier ignore them, hell with them all, you know, I'm doing my, what I'm doing, which isn't great. <laughs> Or we tend to sink under it, you know, or desperately trying to perf- come up with performances so we we'll win other people's approval. So these are the ways we sometimes don't notice it, you know. What I think what John was saying about the inner tyrant is always this drive to try and do something to make make other people feel you're good enough. So you don't notice why am I so driven all the time, you know, <laughs> trying to prove how good I am. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so underneath all that activity we perhaps don't recognise what would happen if that stopped and you just, oh god oh. Yeah. and so, so it's really important just to cultivate you don't have to do anything, this is just coming to you so we don't have to win it it's the natural medium of, of uh, any kind of clarity of exchange and connection must be accompanied by non-aversion. You know, doesn't mean we're kind of rapturously in love with each other, but there's a basic sense of, that's you, so, why should I, you know, why should I want to do something harmful? So it's just important to keep cultivating that as a general thing, because it's bound to happen. It is bound to happen. Because you know, people are bound to dislike you. Even the Buddha people disliked him. <laughs> <laughs> Try to kill him. <laughs> so you got plenty of blame. And there's a saying in the Dhamma part of the never wi- never was, never will be somebody who's not blamed. So you know, so just get it clear, this is not doesn't matter what you do, it's just gonna come your way. So you cultivate that just as like regular uh, medicine. Building up the, your your antibodies, if you like, then you know when you get the hit, when somebody takes a swing at you, then you you got to kind of. I think you've got to slightly step out the out of the firing line. You don't take it full full blast. You kind of you can sort of sometimes deflect your your eyes. You know, or just kind of st- emotionally step back. And that's what feeling your body is about, trying to come back into your body. If you reach, reach forward, when somebody's swinging a punch at you, you know, and you reach forward, bam. And often the person who's trying to win other people's a, approval does just that, you know. Am I good enough? No, wham. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to stop that habit of reaching forward. Because <laughs> you know, you're not going to win it anyway <laughs> that way. Uh, and how? And you know why? Why do you need it, really? If if you have um, the self respect, then there's that sense of you don't want to dis- disregard people's criticism. That's you know okay. What okay? There's some maybe there's something legitimate in that, but you don't want to take the hit. Um, so you just step step back psychologically, come into your body, your feet, particularly your feet. You know. Breathe in, breathe out, pause, put it on hold, let it, let it move through. Because the way that um, emotional interchange happens is if you start reacting, the other person gets, the reactions start occurring. So if you, if they, if you, you know, if they feel you're not listening at all, it's going to get a bit more riled. If you defend yourself, they get riled. If you try and placate them, they get riled. <laughs> 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 and they're really angry so you've just got to kind of find a place to softly receive it yeah. and that actually helps the other person because sometimes they are discharging their their angst, their pain yeah. so then when it's like that then you've really got to take some time afterwards when you had a, a whack you've got to take some time for afterwards just Take a few breaths, take a walk. Yeah. So and discharge the shock of that because these 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 are shocks for a human being. That's when it's like that. You also get the other kind of ill will is when it's just not so much violence as constant constant depriving one of 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 goodwill, just the slow starvation of any kind of affection or approval. This is like, you know, the, like the oxygen goes out of the air and you, you know, nobody's meeting you, nobody's there for you, nobody's interested, you don't count, not listened. to, you know, and that kind of slow thing. I think that's perhaps sometimes more deadly because you, it's like, um, you know, being down a coal mine when the gas is there. And you start, you know, and you're starting to feel gloomy and depressed and do I exist or not? <laughs> Uh, and then you really um, could just get out <laughs> you know, find a real person to talk to is a simple thing but really also just keep that, that whole process of, of kindness towards yourself going that's the fundamental thing when you can do that when that becomes established you can always try to bring up memories of people you are Admire respect or are fond of it helps to get the juice flowing, and uh, at a certain point it will be possible to generate some quality of compassion or goodwill to people who 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 are unpleasant to you mm. Mm. Conclusion of Satipatthana Sue to suggest that enlightenment could be achieved fairly quickly. <laughs> this is in <laughs> this is in marked contrast to present day conventions in which it requires decades of rigorous practice. How can this difference be explained, please? <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) well, uh, I haven't heard of anybody who really claims that after seven days of any kind of retreat they have uh, realized complete enlightenment. So um, either the Buddha got it wrong, or maybe it's a bit, bit taller in order than we imagine. I don't think it's, I think perhaps it's a little more than just watching your thoughts come and go. Yeah, and that uh, so you know the the map the, the Satipatthana as a map is is very full, but it doesn't give you really as any no map can do. It doesn't give you the real trail guide of of what what you need to to walk that terrain. And uh, mindfulness as a factor uh, is relatively easy to explain. As a practice it takes a lot of support. Mindfulness doesn't stand alone and unless it's accompanied by a lot of other factors, it 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 can't fulfil this on its own. So here you have the three factors attapi and sampajana and the Sati knows. Yeah, so sampajana, clear comprehension, um, Constant clear comprehension means uh, looking into the impermanent nature of experience constantly with that. Nothing snags, everything flows. Sati itself, um, just to even establish these four, (coughs) hmm, takes a lot of um, cultivation because mostly people don't experience The experience is not like that. experience is generally a lot of thinking, moods and feelings, physical, you know, and it's all tumbling around. Um, It doesn't come into, this is body, feeling, it doesn't come like that. It's all sort of mixed up. Those are there, but there's a whole mixing up. So just to be able to sieve through and be able to place things in those categories takes a lot of deep attention. You know, if you sit and meditate properly, what happens is you're thinking about your job, or you're thinking about, you know, a person who's this, that, and the other, or what you've got to do tomorrow. Which category is that in? You know, <laughs> so it's not so neat, is it? Just kind of getting into your body, for example, can be take a bit of time because of the huge overload and the imbalance of our of our centre into our into our thinking faculty. Now, that that itself can take you know, considerable time. So yeah, if you if you were able to place it all in those things and those those uh, support faculties such as right view, right intent, right effort, right livelihood, they are all you know in good running order, you know, and right effort is all in good running order, then you know, then yeah, it would certainly be that way. But um, by and large, the, the view. That we find ourselves constantly ahead so our hearts constantly twisted into this view that uh you know the world generates is here am i a separate self um other separate selves around me um get what you can you're going to die at the end of it Uh, and that's the end of that Uh, uh, this isn't the really right view so, just even getting the the sense of b- being an aspect in the whole dynamic continuum of cause and effect right now, who walks around with that set <laughs> in running i am a I am a dynamic and ongoing continuum of cause and effect, <laughs> unlikely really, so <laughs> takes a while to. Not just have the words, but to really feel it. You know, in fact, one has to be a stream enterer to to um, to 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 be in that that steady state of right view, and that uh, takes quite a bit of work. Shifting, uh, you know, defilements, hindrances, obstructions, um, preoccupations, mind being obsessed, to really get round to it. That's my my sense of it. You know, when you look at this this model person, you know, a theoretical person who's there in the Satipatthana Sutta, sits down, spine erect, under a tree, always mindful, ardent, <laughs> diligent, right? Where's he gone? You know, the we'll people have a good try at it. I'm sure they have a good basically do the best they can, but. You know, just it's, it's a quite a big ask actually to to be able to sustain that steady state for a unbroken for seven days. Um, uh, so that's the best I can do with that. Yeah, that's okay.
1: How does one contemplate, as it says in the Sutta? Thank you. I think, as it says in the Sutta, I'm not so sure how relevant that is on the whole theme of contemplation. I think starting from when when we are practicing many of us come from the point of that contemplation can't be quite part of our practice because it involves thought it involves also themes to reflect around And actually this this question came up in the first interview or the first dialogue group we had this morning and the person was saying like like if i'm thinking do i then can i still practice when i'm thinking and i mean we have to consider that Directed thought and applied thought is actually part of the practice. When we look at, at concepts that we can take for contemplation, one very important step is that we don't get Like if we want to contemplate, if we want to reflect around a theme, it is very important that we are not getting emotionally or personally involved in that, that we are choosing a theme that doesn't carry a strong emotional baggage or luggage for us. So when you look at themes of like contemplating the body, like in the Buddhist practice we are like say for example we are contemplating the different parts of the body there is usually usually not a lot of emotions involved with like say looking or contemplating your inner organs liver heart or whatever take whatever you want to like usually we are there's not a really strong personal involvement in that. So when we, when we use contemplation in our practice, what we have to be aware of is that we are keeping, I would say like keeping the boundaries clear, so we are not starting to go into proliferation when we proliferate, we are not contemplating anymore. And proliferation is like say you start with the theme of yeah okay, let's stay with the body. So you are contemplating the different parts of the body and like say you're you're contemplating the heart, what comes up when you think about the heart, what and like when you see yourself going down the road of oh, yeah, and my friend he he really has a heart problems and uh, has a heart problem, and probably sooner or later he needs a surgery, then you are proliferating that's not contemplating anymore so so what you what you have to be aware of are what are the boundaries that you are working in, so you are making really clear that. This theme is something that you want to explore, that you want to, it's almost like penetrating. And by penetrating, we are not getting lost in the, um, pro, do you say proliferate? Like in the field around it so you are you're taking an object and you are really or you're taking a theme and you're really staying with that and you reflect and you go as deep as you can at the given time into it like actually when we look at the stages of concentration practice these are the first two steps, like or the first step that is mentioned, directed thought and applied thought, then that can lead you further into um, concentration practice and it's used in that way often, like the theme of actually formal meta practice is the entrance into Um, into concentration practices but also I feel I find myself that taking a theme like say impermanence or suffering like or just say like the first noble truth it's something when you really take it as a contemplation object as your practice it can bring you quite deep It can show you aspects of your own experience that you haven't seen before because usually, like for example, when we look at suffering, we are coming from the point of experiencing it right here, right now. With that goes, because it is emotive, there goes... uh, Almost like a cloudiness um the mind is covered by certain investments by by certain you could say like it's colored it's not there there's not a clear comprehension there because there is that personal involvement there is that personal. Approach that takes away the clarity of seeing. I hope that makes sense. I mean, that's what comes in regards to using contemplation in your practice. Ajahn, do you want to add something?
0: No, it's. it's yeah, I mean, just emphasise what you're saying. I think the point about using uh, vitakka who's as mm-hmm. directed. Thoughtfulness and sustained thoughtfulness. Sometimes I find it just like using thoughtfulness may give you a better sense. It's not always that, there is some verbal, but it's like a certain quality of attentive. Like, so the word, the idea is there, but you're really listening a lot to it and purely staying on the topic and it's exactly that bit about the non-proliferation which occurs when the mind leaks its worries or its stuff into the topic and a lot of that's to do with identification yeah. so that that sense of the what the thought thought, starts, thought is a very clear thing it's quite definite so it Enables one to say, it's just this." There's a, for example, there's a liver. You go, "Oh, liver! Oh, yeah, I don't like looking at no, liver. Oh, oh, that messy liver." <laughs> <laughs> no no let's think about something else. Liver. <laughs> so that's kind of all that wobbling and waffling. I think, is it true or not? It's true. Everybody has a liver. <laughs> I too have a liver. <laughs> you know, and 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 then so when the mind has stopped that kind of Leaking proliferation, which, which is, is, is something so almost you know, the, 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 there's an arousal within that. That's the so, dispassion is just it's, there it is. So, contemplation holds it until the mind becomes dispassionate. Just there's no particular you know, stirring that we're meshing up around this, but something cool, cool recognition, dispassion. It's like that. And with that, when the dispassion's there, how can you call any of this self or mine? or? It's just that. So the selfhood, the identification, always occurs through the emotional stirrings around things. We want to hold it clear enough those emotional stirrings can stop. I mean, things like those, what I call the the cemetery, contemplation, sometimes the less pleasing or the off-putting parts of the body, you could say they do have a certain, you know, uh, emotional tone to them, but they're really there to, to clear away the fuzziness of the assumptions about a body. They're not really I don't think they're there to in, 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 incite horror or, or, or aversion that there's a description when so in the suttas when one of the bhikkhus took it that way and they ended up all killing themselves. and The Buddha said, Well, they didn't weren't practicing correctly, yeah. So that was actually quite a there was massive amount of equanimity on the part of the Buddha. Imagine if I gave an instruction, 60 retreatants went out and killed themselves, you could feel a little <laughs> bit like, Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> So he clearly felt, well, I, I did what you know. I told him. they just got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's not to get some sense of you know, death wish or aversion. It's just so that there's a beautiful coolness that can occur in contemplation. And then, then when that kind of leaking and also all the resonances that, that are uh, stilled, then we see this is just that, there's nothing there, there's no thing about this, so the mind empties itself of of those um, uh, kind of assumptions and resonances, you know. and then we begin to recognize this too is just the form that arises, you know, body, the arising of the body as a visual sign, as a felt sense, as a meaning, it's it's just something that arises within awareness so you contemplate that because the the mind is now holding the object in a very clear, dispassionate way (coughs) when unskillful, mean intentions arise in the mind how to handle them i.e., ill will towards others, jealousy, critical judgment. Already being aware of forming these thoughts, besides being aware of them, how to clean them? When are they going to stop? How to purify the mind heart? Uh. Well, there's a whole kind of range of ways to, to um, deal with this, and that's great, isn't it? Because it clearly means you're not alone in that, since it's um, commented on and taught many, many ways. So obviously it's a problem for everyone. We start to get that sense of all these, the, the mind intentions and mental states always seem so very, here's me. Thinking, here's me feeling so nasty towards people. No, just, no it's just just feeling nasty. Is is uh, uh, kind of what happens for human beings, and there are reasons for that and confusions around that. So just the sense of this universal problem that is our first way of getting a little bit of objectivity around it all. Remember. You know, that phrase, don't take it personally. Although it, we can, it can sound just a glib phrase, but recognize if there's a word for something, to your mind state, how did that word get there? You didn't create the word. You can pretty sure that everybody got it. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a word for it. <laughs> and it's a very simple word, aren't there? Every oh, all jealousy. Oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that oh well, there it is so now we're seeing this is not as me being so nasty but me being affected by this particular experience that that everybody gets like a like a you know you're you're the patient rather than disease yeah so that even this that slight shift of view um, means you don't get so sunk in it and so proliferating I'm such a nasty person da 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 da, da. When am I ever gonna change the da da da? Or that is proliferation again. You see the mind reacting and responding. Proliferation is bound up with identification. Um, instead we start to um yeah you know, recognize that. Now there are ways, you know, two do different two fundamental approaches. One would most say is is the deliberate um contradicting or dispelling of ill will by bringing up a contradictory image. So we we consider beings or people that we have goodwill towards and just replace. Mm. Uh, You know, we say, oh, why why don't I just stop doing that? You know, that's possible, not always possible. And the Buddha said it's like a carpenter is a peg in a piece of wood and he gets another piece of wood and he bangs it so that knocks the other one out. Mm. Or other examples, yeah, this person is lousy, crummy, mean, stingy and downright nasty, but there's a little bit of good he has in him, I'll focus on that. (laughs) He does pat his dog or something, you know, so you (laughs) you try to focus on the one redeeming factor. Sometimes it's a little difficult, uh, you know, and bring that up. So what you give attention to will tend to... Magnify so if you keep attending, giving attention to attention to other beings uh, what we, their perceived blemishes or failures, you'll magnify those, so you maybe you start to see' there's that good side or that good aspect and bring that up, and it helps them you know so one isn't getting overpowered with it. Uh, another way is you begin to consider what's how much pain and misery this is causing me. Yeah. Um, why don't I just stop, change, think of something else, turn my mind another way? Mm. Those are so. There's that approach, which is what you call a direct uh, a substitution of, of the phenomenon. Mm. The other approach uh, is to examine the phenomenon. But even for that, you have to have some way of that fundamental thing. This is not self. This is something that happens. What triggers it? So we start to study the phenomenon. What triggers it? What does it feel like? What's the surge? What's the what's the feeling in the body? The kind of souring, twisting. What's the person who's born in that state? What do I look like? Hmm. Yeah. So you turn the mirror around. What's the face of the mind of ill will? Is it sunny? Is it it's generally yeah, sort of shrunken, twisted. So you look at that, and think, gee, who's that? And uh maybe that's the one you start to get some sense of compassion towards. Hmm? Oh this person is all twisted up. That so, we for that then we uh, take we drop the topic of the ill will, yeah, you know, and we turn to the quality itself and how, how does that quality feel in your body? How would you what do you what? How do you look? You don't have to look in a mirror, even you can get a, a even an image of what, what it, it's like. Yeah. The jealous one is generally small, small and tight and contracted and you know, skinny, <laughs> unnourished. Think, oh dear, it's a bad state. So you start to get some something changes in your relationship to what your heart is like when it's affected by these um terrible diseases. That's a very direct way of handling the energy. So you put the topic to one side, and okay, here's that thing that happens to everyone. When it happens, that's what what triggers it. When it happens, how does that? What's the general overall effect? And put the story to one side. Really keep putting the story to one side. Feel the kind of souring. The twisting. The Buddha likened it to looking into uh, like water and seeing sometimes the water is very clear and then sometimes it's kind of turgid and it's covered with slime. You know, sometimes it's kind of bubbling and feverish. So you look into the quality of the heart in that state. And again, that's quite objective. There it is. And that objectivity is, is the fundamental step. And when we have that sense of regarding it rather than uh, engaging in it, identifying with it, justifying it, criticizing it, just yes, there it is. <coughs> yeah. How is that? That itself can evoke a feeling of regret or compassion or oh well, you know. How is that? It's a little bit of space there. Yeah. Another way, you know, you can investigate the topics. If I'm jealous of somebody's got a really nice, this, that or the other, I don't have, uh, you know, then you can even think, well, so he's got a big cup of car or he got praised. Praise is something that we can get very jealous of. He's getting all the attention and the praise and the and nobody notices me. <laughs> <laughs> I've worked so hard, and I'm just as good, and nobody even notices me. Um, it, well, it just uh, just how how much. So I always imagine this person is just so so enriched by that praise or success or status, but this is not the case. You know, doesn't you know it doesn't last. you Go up, and you. Why starve yourself? Why make yourself miserable over over that? This is just to just to get some handle on these em, emotional states, on these where they're out of control. I'd also say it's quite fair to say. You know, I've worked damned hard. He's got the pay rise. What about me? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's something about appropriate (laughs) fairness of behavior. Sometimes it's it's a certain... Most of these things have got some justification in them. Yeah. Why do we feel ill will towards another person? Because they frighten us, they threaten us. Uh, We feel looked down upon... You know, so there's causes, you investigate those causes. And if there's a way in which when the you know the contagion has died down, you can address those causes, that's also quite legitimate. Yeah, you know, because we are always getting it wrong with each other. And you wanna be wanna find out how you're getting it wrong. Well, you kind of think you'd like to find out, but you don't like it when somebody tells you, but Ideally, you want to find out how you're getting it wrong, but not through somebody blaming you with ill will, but somebody patiently saying, you know, da, 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 and you do this, that, and the other, and this is the effect, and could you please, you know? So that's called skillful. So, you know, all, all criticism is uh, has huge amounts of injustice in it, and it has something there you can learn from. You know, something you can learn from about how you get, how you catch fire with things, how you take other people's impressions and wound yourself with them. There's always a little bit of truth in it, and a lot of people's own proliferations and, uh, yeah, stuff going on. And it's through that that we purify, clarify, the, purify the heart. Uh, I think here's a really worthwhile shooter on that, where the, you know, the some people are debating... The nature of an enlightened being, and this uh, somebody says, Well, as far as I can see, it, enlightened beings have no unskillful thoughts, no unskillful actions, no unskillful intentions. So they take this to the Buddha, and he says, No, it's not the case. Because, you know, a newborn baby doesn't have any unskillful thoughts, he can't even think straight yet, doesn't have unskillful actions, or even just kick his legs in the air, he can't really do anything. and He <laughs> can't have any unskillful intentions because He hasn't really got it together yet, but it doesn't mean he's enlightened. (laughs) He says, "What? What is the case is when a person understands an unskillful intention, it rises in their mind. They notice what it is. They understand the causes of it. They understand, you know, not to react to that, and they understand how to let it pass." He says, "Now that, that's a a noble being." So it's, it's, uh, not to get too idealistic about it. Very deeply, you know, the ongoing nourishment of the heart will definitely dampen the, the, the possibilities of this stuff flaring up. The more you look after yourself, it's like you're. If you don't look after yourself, the, the things are getting very dry, and it's easy, they'll spark and catch fire. If you look after yourself, clearly there's much less potential for ill will and jealousy to arise. And that's again, you know, back to that ongoing cultivation of goodwill, kindness, being received. In a friendly, warm way, receiving oneself in a friendly and warm way, and that will certainly lessen the potential for this stuff to happen. So, there are you can say there's a basic practice, and then the particular topics, topical things that occur where you've where suddenly the fire has caught, and you've got to do that. But you don't want to just keep putting out fires all the time, you want also. Do the work that stops the fires arising. And that's really, you know, very, that's the most profound stuff. Really profound, because you, you're you bound to experience ill will if there's any sense of identification. You may not act upon it, but you're bound to experience that as any sense of identification with actions and deeds and bodies and events so that there's the there's, there's the big project and that clears all the firewood out <laughs> I don't know somebody's telling me like uh, Lord Paul Liam they were watching him and this monk was going crazy at him you know ruh, ruh, ruh. So you may think the monasteries are all gentle they'd certainly <laughs> people get angry, upset uh, yeah, uh, and this monk was going to really give him a blasting. And he was looking and going, "Oh, he's in a bad way. Oh dear, he's in a bad way." You know, it was that so so little firewood there. <laughs> he didn't have anything to catch fire. He was just looking with looking with concern at this person blowing up with anger. He's going, "Oh dear." <laughs> well, this person has cleared cleared the tinder completely. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing there to catch fire. <laughs> that's that's the that's the deep work, you know. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there. Jealousy, because you, nobody has anything anyway. So, <laughs> we well, really understood that, that there'd be no source of 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 jealousy and ill will. How to purify the mind? <laughs> Keep practicing. More practice is necessary. Oh. I think. <laughs> In which which note is probably? Is there something you'd like to add to that? No, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I you were eager. <laughs> perfectly, perfectly. <laughs> then we'll uh, have a few moments break and do some direct practice on purifying the mind. <laughs>